Hello, everyone. I'm Jonathan Schuler, and welcome to the Fortress of Truth, where we look into the perfect law of liberty and continue therein by the grace of God. Jesus said, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Thank you, Lord. Well, we've been on a series now for a little while that we're calling The Love Walk. We're talking about walking in, living in the love of God and how we demonstrate that to other people. Our foundation passage has been Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1. Ephesians 5, 1, it says in the New King James, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. And the NIV says, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So we've been looking at this for a little while, and specifically the last couple of lessons, we've been talking about what Jesus said over in John 15. Now, we're not going to read that for the sake of time. Um, If you haven't listened to the previous lessons of this series, I encourage you to go back and and listen to it, because we've laid some groundwork for this. And it'll help you get caught up with where we're at now. But we were talking about the last couple of lessons out of John 15, where Jesus said, talked about the greatest kind of love, and that is laying down your life for somebody else. Now, obviously, that does refer to physically dying for someone else, taking a bullet for someone else, if you will. But the greater picture is laying aside what's convenient for you, what's preferable to you, instead, and instead preferring someone else. It talks about in Romans 12, it, it's doing, talking about several different things that we're supposed to be doing, and it also says, in honor, preferring one another. It also says over in Philippians, that we are to esteem others better than ourselves. And we're not supposed to focus on our own things, but instead we're supposed to look to the things of others. In other words, how are we going to help other people? We, don't, we shouldn't be so narrow-minded and fixated on ourselves. We should be looking around to, specifically to those of the household of faith, other believers, looking to see, Lord, How can I help them? What would you have me to do for them? And he may lead you to give something to them. He may lead you to share an encouraging word with them. And he may lead you just to give them a hug, to let them know that he loves them and that you love them too. See, when you're fixated on yourself, you can't see past the end of your nose, then you're going to be so 
really you're going to be quite sad because you're fixated on yourself and on your needs and, oh, why isn't anybody helping me? How could I help other people when nobody's helping me? They ought to be helping me. I read a, you know, saying that makes me think of this. I read a comic strip one time and uh, this, this uh, kid and his friend were walking down the, out through the woods and his friend said to him, it happened to be New Year's, and his friend said, so are you making any New Year's resolutions? And the kid said, well, no, I've decided that I'm perfect the way that I am. Why should I have to do all the changing around here? It's high time the world started changing to suit me. And uh, he said, what about you, to his friend? What about you? Did you make any resolutions? And his his friend said, well, I had resolved to be less offended by human nature, but I think I've already blown that. <laughs> what is he saying? Well, that, that's being very self-centered. And that's very blatantly, very obviously self-centered, self-absorbed. The thing is, people aren't going around saying that necessarily with their words but with their attitudes and their actions, they're saying something quite similar. They're saying, well, why? You need to help me. You need to help me be me. You know, I need to be true to myself. I need to, I need to do my thing. You know? Well, you doing you that can wind up hurting some people. But if you're so fixated on yourself, you're willing to bulldoze other people just to get what you want. But the love of God isn't that way. The love of God will go out of its way to help someone else be the best that they can be and not worry about you. And here's the thing. When we cultivate this love of God, which is already in us, Romans 5 says that the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. So if you've accepted Jesus, if you've made him the Lord of your life, you're born again, then you have a measure of God's own love on the inside of you. Now, I get it. There are some people who are... You, you know, I, I heard one minister say it this way. Some people are a thorn in your side and other people aren't a thorn in your side. They're a complete bush. <laughs> you know, I, I grew up out in the country and I, I would go hiking through the woods and I'd run into a wild rose bush or a blackberry patch or something like that. And, oh, buddy, those things have thorns and they will cut you up and they are not fun to get stuck in. And if you're not careful, you get tangled up in those briars and you wind up everywhere you move, you're getting stuck somewhere. Well, I understand. Sometimes relationships are that way. Sometimes we wind up being next to some prickly people that aren't exactly the most lovable in the natural. But you know what? We don't just have natural love. We have supernatural love on the inside of us. Amen? We have the love of God. Romans says, 
actually on further in Romans 5, it says that God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So God didn't love us and demonstrate his love for us because we were so amazing, because we had a spotless, perfect record. You know, we had such wonderful, flawless, spotless conduct and behavior. Certainly not. We were, in fact, God's enemies at the time that Jesus came and saved us. He purchased redemption for us, and then he made it available to us to accept and become part of the family of God. That was how much God loved us. He loved us so much, it didn't matter what we were doing or what we hadn't done, the bad things we had done, the good things we hadn't done, none of that mattered. All that mattered was he loved us and he had to do something about it. Jesus said in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God's love was so strong and so genuine that it compelled him to act on it. He didn't just sit there on the throne, you know, and look down at us and holler, I love you, and then do nothing. No, he demonstrated his love. It says over in 1 John 3, matter of fact, let's go and look at it. 1 John chapter 3. talking about walking out God's kind of love. We have it on the inside of us, but we're talking about walking it out and living it out for, toward other people. John chapter three, or excuse me, 1 John chapter three and verse 18. Well, no, verse 16. Let me back up and get a running start at this. 1 John three sixteen. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That sounds just like what Jesus said, didn't it? Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And John here, by the inspiration of the Spirit, is saying the same thing. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And then he gives us a practical illustration here. Verse 17. But whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? Now that's a, a lot of King James English there. But all that he's saying is, you know, if you have something, if you have some substance, if you have some money, some, some material goods, and you see someone who is lacking some of these things and you just refuse to do anything about it. You just sit there and go, hmm, well, it's too bad to be him. Let's keep on going. Then the love of God really doesn't dwell in you. It's really not in you. He's saying, 
if you're not demonstrating that love through actions, then it's not really there. The love is not really there. I know that's a big statement, but he's, at, he's saying this here. He's saying if you have something, if you have substance and you see someone that's in need, if you see a brother, now this is someone, another believer, this is someone who is endeavoring to walk out the plan of God in their life, and maybe they just fell upon hard times. Now, I'm not talking about going out and, and giving something to everybody on the street that says, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, give to me. No, there, there, are, there are takers and there are receivers. You don't want to encourage a taker. A taker has an attitude of, yeah, you, you're, you're going to give to me? All right, hand it over. A receiver is genuinely grateful for it. And you can tell the difference. But what he's saying here is that you should have this compassion, this love of God on the inside of you, motivating you, stirring you, compelling you to do something about it. Now, how do we know what we're supposed to do about it? Check in with the Holy Spirit. He might say for you to give something to him. He might say for you to encourage him with a, with a scripture. He might just have you pray for him and not even talk to him at all. Pay attention to the leading of the Holy Spirit. But the point is, the love of God, the genuine, true love of God on the inside of you is going to motivate you to do something about this other person. Verse 18, my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. He's drawing a contrast between saying, I love you, I love you, but, and then actually doing something about it. So you see that God's love for us was genuine love. He didn't just sit up there and holler, I love you. You're going to hell, but I love you. Well, no, he did something about it. And that is the love of God. That is what the love of God does. And we have that on the inside of us as believers. But it's up to us to get that from the inside to the outside. And when we get it from the inside to the outside, then actions will start popping up, motivated from a heart of love. It says over in James chapter 2, James gives an illustration very similar to this actually, of, but he's talking about faith. And he says, faith without works is dead. Now, the works that he's talking about are corresponding actions. If you don't act on your faith, it's dead. It's ineffective. It's not going to do anything for you. Well, the same thing is true about love. You can say all day. You can say it until there's no spit left in your mouth. I love you. I love you. I love you. But if you never do anything about it, 1 John says you're lying about it. 
you don't really love the other person. The love of God really isn't in you. He, he's asking the rhetorical question. If you're doing all this, if you may be saying, I love you, I love you. You may be saying all these flowery words, but if you don't ever act on that, then he says, how is it possible that the love of God dwells in you? He's saying, I'm wondering. You know, you say you're a believer and the, the word says that the love of God has been shed abroad in your heart as a believer, but I'm never, I'm never seeing any fruit from it. So I'm wondering if the love of God really is in you. But friends, we can get that love of God from the inside of us to the outside. Let's take a look at some scriptures about this. Let's look over at Romans chapter 12. Anytime I talk about love acting, I think about a, a story that I read. Oh goodness, this was several years ago. I read this about a boy and, and his friend. They were walking down the, the street, the sidewalk together, and his friend stepped off into the street to, to cross the street. And his friend didn't see this great big bus coming down the road. And so the boy reached in and grabbed his friend, pulled, pulled his friend back up on the sidewalk real quick just to avoid getting hit by the bus. That is true, genuine love. That's a vivid illustration of actually what God did for us and what, how we should behave toward other people, how we should demonstrate that love toward other people. See, it wouldn't have done his friend any good if his friend had stepped off the sidewalk right in front of the bus and he hollered, I love you, whammo. Well, I wonder about that. I wonder about that love there. But see, he demonstrated that love. He did something about it. He acted quickly and abruptly, but it was in love. And that's what God did for us, and that's what we should do. That's the example that he set for us as believers. So now how do we do this? Well, Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. Romans 12, 1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. See, God has already put his love on the inside of the believer. If you've accepted Jesus, the love that God loves people with is on the inside of you. But now it's our responsibility to renew our mind with the truth of God's word. And then when we do this, we are transformed. He says, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. So when you get your mind renewed, then a transformation starts to take place. And what's on the inside of you 
starts coming out. And then when that starts coming out, we're able to discern what is the will of God and what isn't. And in order to walk out the will of God for our lives, that which, by the way, includes walking in love, in order to fully discern that and understand what God's will is, you're going to have to renew your mind. See, why do we need to renew our mind? From the time that we were born in this world, we have been bombarded with the world's way of thinking, acting, saying, and doing. And we have been programmed, our mind has been conformed to the pattern of the world. And until you accepted Jesus, you thought like the world, you might have acted like the world, you might have spoken like the world. Why? Because that's the way, that was what was put in you. You had input from the world and you were conformed to some degree or another to the pattern of this world. And some of us to, to a greater degree than others, but each one of us had worldly attributes to us, perhaps in our speech, perhaps in our actions, but we were all conformed. Now, when you're born again, when you accept Jesus, it's talking about, it says in uh, 2 Corinthians 5, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And then it goes on and says, now all things are of God. Well, when you were, if you had brown hair, before you were born again, you're still going to have brown hair after you're born again. You know, if you were tall, if you were fat, if you were skinny beforehand, then you're going to be that same way after you accept Jesus. So he's not talking about the physical. Things haven't been made new in the physical yet. Now, if you, your mindset didn't automatically change either. What changed when you accepted Jesus? Your heart. The real you. First Peter calls it the hidden man of the heart. Romans talks about the inward man. This is your spirit. That's what's made new when you accept Jesus. And the love of God is put down in your spirit when you're born again. But in order for it to show up on the outside, to be manifested in your day-to-day -day actions, it has to come through your mind. So in order to get what's on the inside of you, the love of God, out, get those actions out, you're going to have to renew your mind. You're going to have to get rid of that old worldly mindset, which was programmed to be self-centered, self-absorbed, you know, people use the phrase, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Or the squeaky wheel gets the oil. You know, it, in other words, if you don't, 
if you don't make a ruckus and force your way in and, you know, like a bull in a china shop and, you know, take what's yours, you know, enforce your rights as a human being, then you're just going to get overlooked. Well, there's parts of that that may be applicable, but as far as running over other people and as far as putting yourself above everybody else, that's not what a believer is supposed to do. That's not the love of God. The love of God is others-centered. And we're going to have to renew our mind and get rid of the old programming, the old training in our mind, which trained us to be self-absorbed, self-centered, and instead get the mindset of God. As we close, I want to look at one more passage of Scripture, Philippians chapter 2. We looked at this a, a little while back, but I want to look at it again here. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. In other words, don't be self-centered. Look, look around and see how you can help others, especially those who are believers and also of the household of faith, just like yourself. And then notice this verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. This is the mindset of Jesus. Humility, lowliness, meekness, not being a doormat, but instead looking to others, looking to help others and give others the advantage instead of yourself. How can I be a blessing to others? How can I help other people? Maybe at the expense of myself, of my own comforts, Jesus certainly did that. He certainly was willing to sacrifice what was comfortable for him and most pleasant for him in order to help us. And I, for one, am so grateful that he did. How about you? Well, we wouldn't be, you wouldn't have a chance of, of going to heaven and spending eternity with the Lord if you, if you don't, if he didn't do that. So let's do this together. If you're serious about this, pray this out loud. Now, if you don't mean it, don't say something you don't mean because you ask the Lord and he's going to, you, he said, ask and you shall receive. So you ask him for certain opportunities, he's going to present them to you. So if you don't really want them, don't say anything about it. But if you're serious about walking out the love of God and renewing your mind, pray this out loud. Father God, forgive me for any time 
I've been self-centered. I've been too self-absorbed to help others. I ask you to help me to renew my mind to become others-centered. Help me to be a blessing to other people. Give me opportunities to minister to others, to encourage them, to build them up, to help them out. Help me to be aware of what others need and what others desire so that I may truly demonstrate your love to them. And I'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I hope you enjoyed this podcast today. If you did, be sure and follow us so that you never miss an episode of the Fortress of Truth. And be sure and join us again next time as we continue talking about the love walk. Well, we'll see you next time on the Fortress of Truth.